GP Insights, a health cert podcast. Practical advice for busy GPs on how to treat with confidence and grow their practice. So on today's podcast, I'm I uh, have the great pleasure of a conversation with Dr. Stephen Mossel, who's at the Terrigal uh, Clinic up on the uh, north of Sydney. Um, Steve, thanks for, for doing this and, and having a conversation. The, the, the reason, uh, the prime reason for this conversation is you have a really interesting practice of a mixture of um, skin cancer in primary care, but also pretty significant aesthetics uh, practice. Perhaps um, we, we could start off just, if you don't mind, briefly introducing yourself, your your own personal story, uh, just briefly, and then uh, give our listeners an overview, Steve, if you would, of, of your practice and how it's evolved. Sure. Thanks, David. Nice to talk to you. Um, <clears throat> yeah, so basically, I'm a uh, at the moment a primary care skin cancer doctor and aesthetic doctor. Uh, I started my medical career uh, in general practice and was a GP um, for about 20 years. And in that time, I I did develop an interest in skin cancer and also a bit later on aesthetics. Um, About 10 or 11 years ago, I decided that something had to give. I just had too many um, balls in the air and I decided I was going to leave traditional general practice and focus on skin cancer and aesthetic medicine. Um, So I set up my clinic in Terrigal. So basically, I suppose what I was doing was creating a, a lifestyle job, uh, which was just working around what I wanted to do. And yeah. from there, the place just, just grew into to what it is today. Um, so I, I spend probably half my time doing skin cancer uh, medicine and half my time doing aesthetics. Excellent. So, Steve, just take us back a little bit. I mean, in, in a way, as a GP in Australia and and particularly in your part of the world, but but most of <clears throat> most of Australia, you can't ignore skin cancer, and you know there's a lot of it, and it's it's got enough variety, and and usually it is quite procedural, which many of us, not all of us, but many of us enjoy. So that in a way, the skin cancer is kind of obvious. Where did the interest in in aesthetic medicine come from? Can we can we explore that a little bit? Yeah, sure. Um, it's probably just a, one of those. Uh, I suppose I sliding door moments. I, I was probably feeling a little bit frustrated with general practice and I was looking for something else. Um, yep. And I happened to read a story in the Sydney Morning Herald um, about 20 years ago about a Botox party in Sydney. Um, <laughs> and I thought this is interesting. So I actually contacted Allegan, the manufacturer of the Botox and organised some training. Started right. off with a very sort of low key kind of thing. And um, at the time, there's virtually nobody doing this. So the demand right. just grew and grew and grew and, and into what it was today. So now what sort of was just, I suppose, initially just a little side hustle became you know, a, a pretty major part of my, of my business. Right. And would you say at the moment, Steve, your work is, is what, 50-50 skin cancer? Yeah, so and... 50-50, yes. Yeah. So I work four days a yep. week, two days yep. um, skin cancer, two days aesthetics. Right. And can you, I mean, again, most of our audience will be, you know, pretty familiar with the skin cancer stuff, but just give us a quick overview on on the skin cancer that you see and the procedures that you do, and then we'll do the same for the aesthetics. Okay. Um, So skin cancer, obviously skin cancer checks using dermoscopy. Um, I've done my master's of skin cancer medicine through UQ. I was in the first cohort of that when you were the uh, the dean. Um, Long time ago, Steve. It was a long time ago, 2007, (laughs) I think. Um, So, yeah, skin cancer checks. I do 
probably 90 to 95% of, of procedures on site. So obviously yeah. basic elliptical procedures um, on the face as well. And I do basic flaps and grafts. Um, I do have support from some local plastic surgeons, so I don't do everything on site, but I probably do 95% of the excisions, excisions on site. Yeah. And, and the aesthetics, what's the breadth and the range of, of, of the, the aesthetic work that you do, Steve? Well, for me, it's predominantly Botox or anti-wrinkle injections uh, and dermal fillers. Um, I did right. do a little bit of laser work in the past, but just didn't have, you know, just not having the time to, to do that as well. Uh, but in the clinic, we also offer a variety of sort of mediastatic treatments, chemical peels, um, skin consultations with dermal therapists, collagen induction therapy or skin needling, um, PRP or platelet-rich plasma injections. And we also have a laser technician who visits from, from Sydney once a fortnight. Right. And, 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 a, and a nurse yep. as well, a nurse injector. Right. So I'm, not doing, I'm not doing all the aesthetic work. Right. That, that was what I was going to try and explore a little bit more because I think most of the colleagues <clears throat> listening to this, this podcast will, like I am, be very naive about the aesthetic side of this. Could you, could you give us a sense of, um, I mean, where do these patients come from? Obviously, you're well established now. Presumably, Steve, many of them or most of them come in specifically for those services or is there yes. cross-referral with, with your skin cancer or can you give us a sense of this? Sure. Um, I, look, I think uh, <coughs> most of my clients are probably one or the other, but there is crossover. I mean, I try not to oversell the aesthetic treatments when I'm doing a skin cancer check. If there's a patient right. wants to discuss it, I'm happy to talk about it, but I never initiate that consultation. Okay. Um, so, yeah, look, initially it was just basically working on uh, already existing GP patients and that might have been you know, a handful a week. And yeah. it just the word got around. And as I said, I think the timing was the key to it. And there's nobody yeah, else yeah. doing this at the time. So there was nowhere else to go. Uh, quickly established a, you know, a reputation and, and got busy doing it. And it just, it's just grown from word of mouth from there. It'd be much more difficult establishing something like that today because there's so much more competition around. Right. You know, and and people, people like familiarity. So if they have a relationship with you, and uh, they're comfortable with you, then they tend to want to come back. It's like going to the same petrol station over and over. You know, once right. people trust you and they like what you do and they feel comfortable with you, they, they will keep coming back. Right. And so you, you would see that in your practice that what almost everybody is now repeat attenders? Yeah. I mean, we, we have people drift in and drift out. Um, we will have uh, so some clients who will come religiously every three months. Some you yeah. might see once or twice a year. Some you'll only see for weddings, school reunions, that kind right. of thing. Right. Uh, you've obviously got patients who will try elsewhere, shop around, and then come back. Um, yeah. yeah, so this is, it's a variety. But you definitely have got, got a core of patients which are loyal who will come probably three times a year. Yeah. And, and did you at all <clears throat> face any... Um you know, critique or criticism from, from colleagues, particularly in those mm. early days? Where, yeah. Where, you know, you... yeah, I did. Um, mm. I think mm. people were certainly a little bit taken aback by it because it was, it was a bit of a dark science back then. Um, mm. Certainly got people saying to me, you know, what are you doing? You're a doctor. It's, this is not right. something that doctors should be doing. To which my response was, well, who, who do you want to do it then? Um, right. So, yeah, there was a little bit of discomfort initially, but that's 
you know, gone by the by now. It's just such a, a mainstream commoditized industry now. There's there's no, I don't sense any negativity from colleagues anymore. And um, I probably don't particularly care either. <laughs> That's often the best way, isn't it? <laughs> and why, why should you care? Uh, you don't have to, none of us have to justify anything to anybody. But Correct. Yep. Um, I, I mean, it is an interesting one. I, I, um, I, I have no... Um, direct experience in in the skin repair or the aesthetic space and it's interesting in, in the in the group of clinics that that you or I are involved in of course I think the large majority of skin cancer GPS uh, haven't have no experience in it either and yeah. you know I'm I, I do a recruitment interview for all of the doctors that work in the national skin cancer centers and I, I think it's over a hundred doctors now in different FTE fractions and it's it's quite unusual it's it's uncommon to interview a GP with an interest in skin cancer who also has an interest in, in, in aesthetics so my question is what advice would you give to to skin cancer GPs around around aesthetics? I mean, should they, you know, why would they be interested? Should they be interested? How would how would they start out? Uh, you know, maybe as an extension from their skin cancer practice. What what would your, you know, friendly guidance be there? Yeah, look, I think should they be interested? I think that's a personal decision. Um, yeah. I mean, it, it's something i wouldn't advise someone to do it or not to do it i think if if they want to do it by all means try um yeah. to start with as i said for me it was a little bit different because um at that stage the demand outstripped the supply but it's the opposite now so it is more difficult starting up now so right. i think the first thing to do if you're going to start out is get some training you know with health cert um or whatever and then Probably start out on your start out with anti wrinkle injections because they're the easiest and the least um, least likely to cause complications or side effects. And right. uh, start on your loyal GP patients or your loyal skin cancer patients. Right. And 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 just maybe try that for a few months and just see if it's something you want to continue with. You know, I know plenty of doctors who have tried it for a period of six months and decided it's not for them. Yeah. Um, and then some just continue with it and, and grow from there. Yeah. Could, could, do you have a view um, on on you know one of the well? This is a question for me. Is, is something that's attractive here about not dealing with a sick patient, but rather a well patient who's looking for a bit of enhanced or you know better, slightly improved appearance in their view and and their you know friends and and partners' view. It's it's a different. It's a bit like wellness, isn't it? And as opposed to illness and sickness, is there anything in that for you? Or oh, absolutely, yeah. I mean, okay. most of our patients are actually refreshingly normal. Um, <laughs> and I think there probably is a bit of perception that if you, you know, probably not so much these days because it is so widespread. But initially, that if if you were getting these treatments done, then you must have some sort of body dysmorphia or or right. problem. Um, but you know, I, I think as in general practice, you, you attract the patients you deserve. So clients will come to you, patients will come to you because they like your style, the way you interact with them. Um, and, and yeah, it is nice to be able to have a non-medical conversation with people. And, and look, skin cancer is a little bit like that as well. I mean, when yes. you're talking to a patient, when you're doing a skin check, 
you do the initial you know, sun exposure, medical history and so on and so forth, risk factors. But after that, I just tend to chat about anything, you know, yeah. try and find a common interest. And, and I, I like that as well. Whereas with general practice, it's pretty much head down, you know, medical, 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 all go. And, and that's yeah. Australian. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so where do you see aesthetic medicine going? Um, do you have any any thoughts on this? I, I, I mean, we all, when we go to the, the shopping mall and you see a, another laser clinic or a, or a, a beauty salon or, or um, something that looks a little bit even more medical. I saw one the other day up here on the Sunshine Coast where I am at the moment in one of the big shopping centers. Actually, first time I've noticed this was actually acne. Um, specifically um, advertising itself uh, for acne treatment. What, any, where do you think this is going? Do you think it's going to be more medicalized through colleagues like yourself or, or less medicalized through, you know, shiny shops in shopping centres? Probably both. Um, yeah. I think the market's probably saturated now. There may be growth within those laser clinics. So, you know, unfortunately, a lot of this has become very commoditized um, and people are, are, are searching for the product rather than the practitioner delivering it. Um, right. So then, you know, price becomes relevant. Um, but there's always going to be a market for people who specifically want a doctor or a highly trained nurse to inject. Um, I mean, one thing that I'm looking at at the moment is actually using ultrasound uh, to pre-assess clients or patients before treatment to ascertain their anatomy to, to reduce the risk of, for example, intravascular injection with dermal filler. So there may be a market for that kind of more high-end type of treatment with doctors. Um, I suspect there will be more legislation coming into place because there are risks involved with these procedures, particularly dermal fillers. And yeah. if the media grabs hold of that, uh, people may become more wary of, of being more picky about who is actually injecting them rather than just shopping around on price or convenience. Um, so, so for me, look, I'm, I'm established, as you say, I've got my regular clients, I'm comfortable, um, I'm sort of closer to the end of my career than the start of it, so it doesn't really bother me what happens, but I, I do see a potential place for me for, for getting into doing some, some ultrasound uh, assessments of patients and also possibly managing complications from other practitioners as well. Um, and ultrasound, once again, can be useful for that. Interesting. So so that's an interesting comment you you made there. Do you see many complications either, you know, your own your own practice over the years and or from from other people, whether it's doctors or or from the, uh, you, you know, the non-medical yeah. um, practitioners? Not, not Steve, what lot. have you seen? Yeah. Look, there, there's, I suppose there's, there's sort of minor, moderate and severe complications. Yeah. Um, minor complications are often rectified with further treatment, for example, after botulinum toxin injections. Minor degrees of asymmetry are easily corrected with further injection. Dermal right. fillers are where you're really starting to get into more serious complications. Um, the, the biggest one that I've already, already mentioned is intravascular injection yeah. of dermal filler, which can cause skin necrosis and even blindness. I've had one case of that not blindness, but a skin of an intravascular injection in my career. Um, I've not been involved with anyone else's. I mean, I think people probably tend to go back to the practitioner that's injected them, and that's what I would encourage them to do. 
And mm. even if they're being injected by a nurse in a chain clinic, they still need mm. to have a doctor that's prescribed that treatment right. for them. Um, so, look, the answer is not a lot, but I've had one serious um, complication, which is intravascular injection, and maybe once every year or two we get what's called a biofilm, which is like a low-grade infection of dermal filler, which can occur many, many months after treatment, and that can be managed right. with a lot of hand-holding um, and, and generally you know, six weeks of antibiotics. Right, right. Well, that's fascinating stuff, Steve. Maybe, maybe in closing, um, if, if what any of our listeners are interested in in exploring this further, what would be their next steps? Where would they look for training or more information? Any any wisdom there? Well, yeah, I think training, obviously, with everything is important. Um, yeah. So I know HealthCert runs some some courses, um, and I, yeah. I facilitated those, and they're very very good. It's for an introductory level. So I think attending something like that to get a bit of a feel for whether this might be something you're interested in, um, mm -hmm. talking to colleagues, whether they be nursing colleagues or doctor colleagues that are already doing these treatments and seeing how they fit it into their practice. That's, that's yep. probably what I'd, I'd advise. And any guidance on, on the training that industry often provides for, for products and, and equipment? Is, is that go, what, eyes wide open or...? Oh, no, the train, I think the training's, industry training is good. Um, okay. I know all drug company training, there's always that little conflict of interest. There's an expectation or use yeah. their product, which is, you know, that's, that's the way the world is. Uh, yeah. I mean, I was trained initially with Allegan and there was no competitor's product at that time. So it was yeah. a bit of a low down reserve for them. I was always going to start off using Botox. Um, mm -hmm. But the, 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 I think the quality of the industry training is good. When I started, we were trained for free and there was no expectation of placing an order. But I think now with Allegan, if you are trained by them, there's an expectation that you will place an order of, I think it's a couple of thousand dollars worth of product. Right. And I, right. I think that's probably what most of the companies are doing now. Yeah. Well, Steve, I th and this has been really helpful. I, I am very grateful for your time. Is there, is there anything I have not asked that I should have asked that, that you feel uh, colleagues need to hear from you um i don't think so i mean we haven't really talked about setting up a dedicated clinic but that's a whole new that's a whole nother discussion um yeah. no i think i think you know, from, from the entry level that's that's probably a good place to start okay well that's brilliant Okay. Well, again, thank you for your time. And, and we may well um, have a second conversation in due course about setting up a dedicated clinic. You've opened that up and it's, it's, it's a good point. But I think um, this has been incredibly helpful, Steve. Thanks so much for your time. Pleasure, David. All the best. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. If you like the podcast, please subscribe so you can get updates whenever we post more. And please share it with others. And for more info, please go to helpsert.com.